Good morning and welcome to Walking with Jesus Through the Word, one chapter per day. I'm Pastor Jason Van Bemmel from Forest Hill Presbyterian Church. It is our 790th day together in the Word of God, and we come to the book of 2 Thessalonians. And 2 Thessalonians is the second letter of Paul, Silas, and Timothy to the church of the Thessalonians, or the church in Thessalonica. And it was written immediately after um, 1 Thessalonians. In fact, the fact that you have all three missionaries, all three writing both letters, it's almost like they sent 1 Thessalonians off in the mail, in the mail to be you know, delivered by courier to the church, and then almost immediately thought, oh, there's a lot more we need to say. Let's, let's write more. So it's, these two are almost one book uh, together. So let's pray and ask the Lord's help as we dig into 2 Thessalonians together. Heavenly Father, thank you so much. Thank you for life. Thank you for another day of life. Thank you for your word. Thank you for another book of your word that we can start together. Thank you for all that you've been teaching us over these hundreds of days that we've been together in your word. Please write 2 Thessalonians chapter 1 on our hearts today. Please help us to understand it with our minds, and please help us to respond with faith and obedience and joyful love for all that you are and all that you reveal to us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy. To the church of the Thessalonians, in God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers, as is right, because your faith is growing abundantly, and the love of every one of you for one another is increasing. Therefore, we ourselves boast about you in the churches of God for your steadfastness and faith in all your persecutions and in the afflictions that you are enduring. This is evidence of the righteous judgment of God that you may be considered worthy of the kingdom of God for which you are also suffering, since indeed God considers it just to repay with affliction those who afflict you and to grant relief to you who are afflicted as well as to us when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. They will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might when he comes on that day to be glorified in his saints and to be marveled at among all who have believed because our testimony to you was believed. To this end, we always pray for you, that our God may make you worthy of his calling and may fulfill every resolve for good and every work of faith by his power, so that the name of our Lord Jesus may be glorified in you and you in him, according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. That is 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. So you have the same three authors, the same occasion. <clears throat> Paul had shortly, he had been in Thessalonica not that long before this. He leaves Thessalonica, he goes to Athens, he goes to Corinth, probably still written from Corinth, probably while he's there as a missionary with Silvanus and Timothy. Silvanus is the same guy as Silas from the book of Acts. 
same name, just different variations of that name. <clears throat> so they're picking up really with this major theme that they left off with, and that is of the second coming of Jesus. In the first letter, they had emphasized that there is hope for those who have fallen asleep in Christ because they will be raised when Christ comes again, which suggests that there was a false teaching being circulated in Thessalonica that basically only those who are left alive when Jesus comes again will be caught up uh, and transformed, that those who died have died and they're, they're going to perish forever. Not true, right? And the other thing that was probably floating around was people trying to predict exactly when Jesus is going to come again, because Paul emphasizes there the same truth that Jesus had, had taught. That is that no one knows the day or the hour. It's going to come like a thief in the night. Here we see that this church has been persecuted, and they are being persecuted. And there's comfort in the coming of Christ for those who are suffering persecution. And in, in explaining this comfort, much of the comfort in the persecution comes from the judgment that God's going to bring on those who are persecuting God's people, on those who are enemies of the gospel. This Sunday, if you go to Forest Hill in church on Sunday, I'm going to be preaching on Isaiah 34 and 35. 34 is largely a judgment chapter about the judgment coming on all the nations. And then 35 is the redeemed of the Lord will be returned and will be glorified and will be brought into the new heavens and the new earth. So it's about final judgment and final salvation. And these two things are together. And I decided I can't really preach 34 without 35 because the judgment on the nations is the liberation and the glorification of God's people. And this passage here, 2 Thessalonians 1, is a great preparation for Sunday's sermon because that's exactly what we find here as well. The righteous judgment of God to inflict vengeance on those who persecute God's people is the glorification of Christ in his saints. It happens at the same time, and they are two sides of the same event. So let's begin with the Thanksgiving section. So Paul gives thanks to them for two things. Again, we see this over and over again in Paul, the two distinguishing marks of a believer, faith and love. Faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, love for one another. Their faith is growing abundantly. Their love for one another is increasing. If something's alive, it's growing, right? And so living faith and living love, the living life of Christ in us by the Holy Spirit, we are increasing in faith and increasing in love. That's a sign of growth, and that's why he's giving thanks. And so he's even boasting about them to the churches of God because they have steadfastness and they have faith even in the persecutions and afflictions that they are enduring. It is not easy to be a Christian in a fallen world. If you are not suffering persecution, perhaps it is because you are hiding your light under a bushel basket, ashamed to share Christ with those around you. Because if you are openly and unashamedly telling others about Christ, not being obnoxious, not being you know, pushy, but just openly and unashamedly sharing Christ, you're going to get pushback. You're going to get mocking, scornful behavior, because the world hates Christ and does not want to hear the gospel. God is coming. He's going to judge. The Lord Jesus Christ is going to come again. And when he comes again, if we are trusting in him and loving one another, we'll be considered worthy of the kingdom of God 
And that's that kingdom is why we are suffering. So the king, the king we serve is not the president in the White House or the Congress on Capitol Hill. It's not any part of America. We serve the king who sits on his throne in heaven. His kingdom is going to be revealed right now because he is not revealed, because he's not seen. The world can easily mock, oh, you serve a 2,000-year-old dead guy, some Jewish carpenter from from. Nazareth, who's just, what relevance is he? He was a teacher, maybe a miracle worker, but come on, he, he lived and died 2,000 years ago. What relevance does that have to anything? You think you talk to him? You think he's your friend? That's weird. That's crazy. All this talk can come from the world because Jesus has not been revealed. He sits on his throne. He's ruling over his kingdom. The kingdom is made manifest in the world through the church, but the world mocks and the world afflicts, and in some cases, the world violently persecutes where it can get away with it, right? Where there are not good laws and good systems to protect God's people, where the world thinks it can get away with it, they afflict God's people. The true nature of a person is shown in what they will do when they are convinced they can get away with it. The true nature of the world is that when it is protected or excused or or supported or encouraged or tolerated or allowed to persecute Christians, do they persecute Christians? And the answer to that is yes, and it always has consistently been yes. The only places where that doesn't happen is in places where there's establishment of freedom of religion and the rule of law and good consequences for those, but still... They do what they can get away with, which is low-level mockery, insulting, sometimes job discrimination, sometimes just shunning someone socially because they're a Christian. The world persecutes Christians as much as they think they can get away with. And so often around the world today, and so often throughout history, that has included violence, the afflicting of violence, mob violence that kills Pastors and Christians, we see that in India, in Indonesia. Governmental uh, opposition and oppression, we see that in China, we see that in Iran, we see that in Saudi Arabia, other places. And so there is there's a real worldwide systemic persecution of Christians, and there always has been. It's at the level that people think they can get away with. Well, when Jesus comes again, He's going to grant relief to his suffering saints, and he's going to afflict vengeance on those who do not know God and who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. They're going to be punished. How are they going to be punished? They're going to suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might. Now, initially, part of that might seem like a relief to them. They don't believe in the Lord. They don't, they don't trust his glorious might. So to be away from that, it's like relief. Yeah, we get away from God. We get away from the glory of his might. But to be in the outer darkness, to be away from the presence of God entirely, is to be shut out from all of the benefits, all of the blessings, all of the good things that come from God by his grace. In this world, everybody living in this world, is living in the presence of God at some level or another. Either they're aware of it or not aware of it. 
Either God is consciously with them, but he's everywhere present. And everyone living in this world receives grace from God. God causes the sun to shine on the just and the unjust, and he sends rain on the righteous and the wrong. He is blessing people in this world continually. We call that common grace. It's very common and very grace, very undeserved. To be shut out from God's presence forever in everlasting destruction is to be taken all good things taken away. No more sunshine, no more joy, no more happiness, no more laughter, no more friendship, no more pleasure, no more love. Just the darkness and the terror of being utterly alone and afraid and angry and turned over to your sin in its entirety. That's hell. And it's the judgment of God to put them they don't want to be in the presence of Jesus. They don't want to be in the glorious presence of his might. They're put out into everlasting destruction. And on that same day, that same day is when he comes to be glorified in his saints. Think about that phrase. He comes to be glorified in his saints. Romans 8 says that creation is is eagerly awaiting for the sons of God to be revealed. We're going to have that as part of our confession of faith on Sunday. Creation is eagerly waiting for the sons of God to be revealed. Christ will be glorified in his saints. When Christ is glorified, we will be glorified. We will be glorified in him, and he will be glorified in us. As we are transformed into his image, and there is a countless multitude of perfected, glorified human beings who bear the image of the Son of God in human form and who are transformed into his likeness forever, he will be glorified in us. Can you wrap your head around that? I can't. It blows my mind. I can't even begin to think of exactly what that's going to be like, but it's going to be too wonderful for words. It's, it's going to be beyond anyone's imagination, beyond any Hollywood movie's ability to even begin to depict. That's where we're going. And to this end, we always pray for you that our God will make you worthy of his calling and may fulfill every resolve for good and every work of faith by his power. You see, it's God who keeps us trusting in Jesus and loving one another and heading toward that day. So we pray for one another. Just as surely as you pray for the salvation of the lost, you should pray for your brothers and sisters in Christ that God would make us worthy of his calling by increasing our faith in Christ, increasing our love for one another, moving us further on the road toward that day, that the name of our Lord Jesus Christ may be glorified in us and us in him. What a thought. What glory. What grace. Eyes on the prize, brothers and sisters. Eyes on the prize. Run through the finish line by the grace of God. Let's pray. Father, you've called us with a glorious calling. You've blessed us with abundant, saving grace. We're not worthy of these things. We can't even begin to comprehend these things. But it all comes from you. Thank you. Make us more like Jesus today. Help us to trust in him more and more and to love one another more and more and to keep our eyes on the day when he will be revealed and we will be glorified in him and he will be glorified in us. 
Come quickly, Lord Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, thanks for joining me for 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. We are going to go back to the book of Job tomorrow, and I hope you can join me for that. Have a blessed day in the Lord. Mm -hmm.